come on and find a seat, fam. And as soon as you find a seat, I'll probably tell you to stand up, but you get it. Welcome to our Christmas Eve service. First time we're doing it in the morning that I've been here. But we know there's lots of family gatherings happening tonight. Merry Christmas. Did I say that already? <laughs> this is the day where everybody looks twice as cute as they normally do. Our whole tech team has ties and bow ties. I, I didn't actually wear anything Christmassy, I apologize. Neither did these guys, so we're, we're kind of doing our own thing. But we're gonna start worshiping, and I just wanted to take a moment to welcome you. If you're new, if you've never been here before, my name is Amy, we're so glad that you came to hang with us this morning and to worship our beautiful Jesus. I'm gonna invite anybody who wants to come to the front with us and worship as a family, wherever you feel like you want to be praising him, you're welcome to be anywhere in the room. You can be at the back, you can be at the front. But Jesus, we are so excited to celebrate you today. Today and every day, God. Jesus, you are the joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take it away. You are the joy. You are the joy of the world. You are the joy of our hearts, of our families. And Father, I just pray this morning that that joy of knowing that we have everything in you would inform our worship this morning. In Jesus' name. Ooh, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive a King. Oh! 
We so often think of Christmas as this beautiful Bob Ross painting, right? This serene, perfect, still, silent night. Jesus was smiling and not crying, whatever. And we think of just this lighthearted moment in time. But the reality is, I don't know what Mary really knew of the whole thing. She knew she was carrying God, but I don't know that she fully understood what was, this is all about what her son would go through, but there's one who did, the father. So his heart is full of joy that light has come and that his son will change the world. And I'm sure he's adoring baby Jesus. And yet in his heart, tucked away, is the reality of that this son was born to die. So if you're in this Christmas season and it's one of grief, you're in good company. The father was grieving too. And the reason that we can actually grieve with hope is because of this next song. The one where Christ is on the cross. And in the cross, there's room for grief, but there's also room for hope because he doesn't stay there. And Jesus, in every part of your life, we say all hail. As you've come into the world as a babe, we say all hail. When we see you in our mind on the cross, we say all hail. And when we see you face to face, oh Lord, we will say all hail. All hail. Sacrifice was made 
in Luke chapter two, Luke chooses to end the story of the birth of Jesus in this way. It's after the shepherds have come and they've proclaimed what the angels told them and about who Jesus is. It says this, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. All of these declarations of who Jesus is. It says that Mary takes the time to ponder them. She's meditating on it. She's considering it. She's wondering, what does this mean? I think a lot of times we can have these moments of celebration and worship and it's good and we absolutely should do that. The angels should come and worship and declare who Jesus is and we should join them in that. But we also need moments of silence, moments of pondering and considering what does all of this mean? So over the next two minutes, what I'd like you to do is to consider this proclamation of King Jesus his lordship overall, him reigning and ruling. Will you take just a couple minutes to ponder in your heart with the Lord, what does this all mean? Jesus, thank you for coming to us. Thank you that you didn't count equality with God something to be grasped onto, but you were willing to humble yourself and come to us. Lord, teach us to understand what it all means. Lord, teach us to, to see you rightly, to understand what you've done, to understand what you're doing. 
and for our right response to be worship, adoration, and faith. We love you and we trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to all of you. It is so good to be here with you this morning. And uh, we are going to do our children's story now. So Mama Margaret is going to be reading a short Christmas uh, story from the Children's Storybook Bible. And so kids, I don't know what the age cutoff is. Like if you feel weird, you're probably too old. And if you don't feel weird, like come on up here and we're gonna do the Bible story. And then we have a little gift for you afterwards. is awesome. Hi, everyone. How's everybody? Good. You ready to hear a really good story? Okay. You're going to be quiet and really listen, right? Okay. We're reading. He's here. Who's here? Oh, my gosh. Well, maybe you guys ought to be telling the story. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, who came? Jesus came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of life appeared right there in her bedroom. Oh, my. He was Gabriel. Gabriel was this angel. And he was an angel, a special messenger of heaven. When, he saw the tall when she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. Wouldn't you be scared if some big guy came in your bedroom? You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said to Mary. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes were filled with sudden tears. Mary you're going to have a baby. 
a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small like a baby and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to make a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was born. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Boo-hoo. There was no room for them to stay. And every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Where would Mary stay to have her baby? Mary's baby, soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumble-down stable. Oh, my. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. And look at Jesus laying in the manger. Isn't that wonderful? That's a beautiful story, isn't it? So we know the Christmas story, right? Let's give God a hand for sending Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you have a little... Yeah, we have gift a little gift here. bag for you guys, so you can grab one of these from Miss Anna, and maybe Miss Shauna can help out get those to you guys, and then you can go back to your seats.
Hey, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can go ahead and open those up to two different passages we'll be looking at. Uh, the first one is Isaiah chapter 9 and then Luke chapter 1. So again, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9 and Luke chapter 1. And uh, I actually love how Amy kind of framed things this morning about like how noisy it must have been. That never occurred to me before, but it makes me feel a lot better about my house. Um, <laughs> You, know, you got baby Jesus crying. You've, you've got animals doing their thing. I always thought there's like a donkey in every nativity scene. I don't know if you've ever heard of donkey. I grew up in the country, and uh, there were donkeys over a mile away from us on a farm, and you could hear them. So if your children uh, make a little bit of noise this morning in our family Christmas service, don't worry about it. It's just helping create the scene and the atmosphere for all of us. But this morning, the message I've I title, I, I call, I'm calling this a good old-fashioned political Christmas. And uh, you know me and how much I love politics. And so, uh, but really I think it's a, an accurate way to look at Christmas. And uh, maybe a lot of our experience with a political Christmas is you get together with a family and, and when you get together at Christmas, there's a lot of family that maybe you don't see very often. And uh, with us too, there'll always be people I never have met before in my life. I always meet new people at our family get-togethers because it'll be someone's neighbor that they brought or you know, a friend might you know, used to bring college students home and stuff like that. So you're meeting different people uh, from all different walks of life and different backgrounds. And what happens when you get a bunch of people together at a table is you know, inevitably someone's gonna start talking about politics. And so I remember you know, as a kid in my family, there was one side that was very progressive and one side that was very conservative. And so, you know, it starts out nice. And then like, you know, it's like a little bit of like pushing in on the boundaries of things. And then pretty soon, like I remember it's what Clinton did and then it's what George W. did and then it's what Obama did and now it's what Trump did and now it's what Biden's done. Like it just like brings politics into it. And every time you're just like, oh gosh, like why can't we just have a non-political Christmas? Like, why do we have to bring politics into this? And maybe some of you have had that experience. Maybe some of you are that crazy uncle, uh, but, but you're welcome here today and every day. I shouldn't say it like that. That sounds bad. But I think at the heart of Christmas, when we understand it rightly, political discussion is good at Christmas. It definitely belongs in our Christmas gatherings. But the problem is we've taken the wrong approach to the politics of Christmas. And so I wanna to read to you out of Isaiah chapter nine, and you're probably very familiar with this passage. And it says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, this is a prophecy about Jesus. This is a, they don't know his name's Jesus, but this is a prophecy about the king that God was sending to his people. And the language of it is, is all very political. We read, you know, to us, a child is given. We like children. Children are safe. Children aren't political. They're, they're cute. But 
it doesn't just say to us a child is given, it says that this child that God would give to the world would become the king over all the world. That's a very political title, king over all the world. That he would have a kingdom. That's also a very political thing. Kingdoms are inherently political. And that this kingdom would be filled with justice and righteousness. For seven centuries, the people of God are longing for the fulfillment of this prophecy. They are waiting for God's king to come and for God's kingdom to come with him. But for every, we, we you know, we see the manger scenes, we think like, oh, Jesus comes and he's a cute baby and everything. And so many times we don't have that same perspective that the original hearers of this would have had or the people for seven centuries longing and looking forward. They weren't just looking forward to a child that would be born in a manger so we can all exchange gifts and eat ourselves stupid. They were looking for a king who would come and rule over all the world and that his kingdom would be filled with righteousness and justice. That is what they were waiting for. This is what people are longing for. And then one day, to, in an unexpected place, and to an unexpected woman, Gabriel appears. And in Luke chapter one, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, "'Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you.'" Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. "'Don't be afraid, Mary,' the angel told her, "'for you have found favor with God. "'You will conceive and give birth to a son, "'and you will name him Jesus. "'He will be very great, "'and he will be called the Son of the Most High.'" The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. This is what the angel tells Mary. And really, this is the first gospel of Jesus that is proclaimed. The, gos the gospel of Jesus starts with an angel proclaiming this to Mary and saying that Jesus is king. The first thing we know about Jesus from the angel, Jesus, he doesn't say Jesus is savior. He says, Jesus is king. And to be quite honest with you, most of us like Savior Jesus better than we like King Jesus. We like Savior Jesus who atones for our sins and gives us what we view as a cheap grace to get out of jail free card so we can keep doing whatever we want in life, but grace covers all of it and we're on our way when we die, we go on the cloud and play our harp. This is a very inaccurate view of Jesus and what it is that he came to accomplish. But it's the Jesus that really appeals to us. It's the Jesus that our culture embraces. But that wasn't the statement that was made to Mary about who Jesus is. The angel says, Jesus is king. Jesus is only able to be our savior because he is the king. But Jesus is the highest power. He is the highest authority. 
Jesus is the one who's able to judge right and wrong. Jesus is the one who's able to bless and able to punish. It says that the government of the world is upon his shoulders. It doesn't say the government of the world is on anybody else's shoulders. The government of the world, the whole world, is upon the shoulders of King Jesus. And of its increase and of its peace, there shall be no end. The first thing that we have to understand about the gospel of Jesus is that it is the proclamation that Jesus is the king. And then the angel says that Jesus is the son of God. And this is very important for us because he isn't just a man. Though Jesus is fully man, fully human, he's also fully God. And a lot of the people, even who'd received this prophecy, what they were looking for was God is going to send a king who is a man. They didn't understand that the king that God was sending wouldn't just be man, but that the king God is sending would actually be God. Uh, Because no man can do what God can do. No man can rule like God can rule. No man is just and righteous like God is just and righteous. We're always looking for a man to bring God's kingdom. But when God wanted to bring his kingdom, he came and he did it himself. Even the greatest kings that we read about in the Old Testament, King David, he did some really unrighteous, evil things that brought great suffering to others and to his kingdom. It brought great suffering to himself and to his family. There were victims of the rule of King David and he was the greatest of all the kings that ever existed. God's plan wasn't to give us human kings. God's plan was always to be king over us. He is the only one who can be king. He's the only one who's just. He's the only one who's good. He's the only one who's righteous. He's the only one who is faithful. And he is all of these things because he is God. We don't need another man to be king. Their track records are all awful. They're terrible. We've had enough of human kingship. We need God as king. And Jesus is God as king. One applaud. (laughs) Now we're going to register to vote. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Got some voter guides in the back. Just says Jesus is king. And it says Jesus will reign over Israel forever. Now this one gets a little bit confusing to us because when we look at Israel, Israel is a man. Israel is a family. Israel becomes a nation that is a theocracy. And then Israel also becomes not just a political national identity, but it becomes the full people of God. It says that when God put his spirit in us, we were grafted into the family of Abraham. And it says that all the promises God made to Abraham in Galatians, it says that we are the inheritor of those promises. We have become a part of Israel. Israel is so much more than a bloodline. It's so much more than a nation state. It is a people who have submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It started out as one man, Abraham. It was then goes into being one family that becomes one nation that becomes all the nations. And it says that Jesus is the king who rules over his people forever. Are you ever concerned about the rulers that you have over you? I am literally, anytime I see news, I'm like, oh Lord, like what are these people doing? 
I don't know how we even get the kings that we have, honestly. Like, is it like a rotation? Is it like everybody just gets a turn at being king? I don't, like, like how do we get these people? Your king is Jesus. And you can trust Jesus to reign and to rule over you forever. You don't have to worry about who's gonna win our next election. You don't have to worry about who is gonna be, I don't know, like, we have a mayor. Yeah, we have a mayor. I don't know him. Don't even know his name, but we have a mayor. You don't have to worry about, is our mayor going to be a good mayor in the next term? You don't have to worry about your representatives. You don't have to worry about the rulers in other nations. You already have a king who is good and is just and is faithful to you. And it says that he's going to rule over you, not until the next election cycle. He's not gonna rule over you until other people get tired of him and vote him out. He is going to rule over his people forever. It says that Jesus' kingdom will never end. His kingdom is here. The king ushered in his kingdom. Wherever the king is, there is his kingdom. His kingdom is coming. This is always a weird thing about living this side of his return. The kingdom is here. It's been inaugurated, but it hasn't been like the fullness of it isn't yet here, hasn't been consummated. But he is here. His kingdom is here. It is forever. And the day is coming when our king will return, when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess, when every wrong will be righted, when every tear will be dried, when death and pain and sickness and suffering will be no more, and the whole earth is going to be recreated, and our bodies will be resurrected, and we will have all of the sin issues that affect us and pull on our hearts and cause so much strife and division, even in the body of Christ, all of that will be dealt with and gone forever and we will dwell with him forever in the fullness and the perfection of his kingdom as we are all fully submitted to the reign and to the rule of Jesus. His kingdom is not going anywhere. His kingdom cannot be taken from you. His kingdom cannot be defeated. In fact, it says that the gates of hell itself, the gates of Hades, the gates of death and suffering and everything that's evil, they cannot stand against his kingdom. It's not that Hades is attacking us, it's that the kingdom of God and the king of kings is attacking Hades and continuing to enforce his victory over it until the day when it is fully and completely gone gone and only his kingdom remains. Jesus' kingdom will never end. Now, it's usually after this part that you cut to the manger scene, right? We hear the proclamation of King Jesus and who he's going to be, and then we have the animals and the shepherds and angels and all that stuff. And we often gloss over this very, very important verse that puts everything else into context. And it's Luke 2, 1. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. There's two things in there that are really important. We think about getting registered. That's not the biggest part of the story. The registration gets them into the right town to fulfill a prophecy. But what we miss out on is Caesar and empire. You see, this whole story exists inside of the reign and the rule of Caesar Augustus and his empire is the Roman Empire. 
And the land that Jesus is born into has been conquered, it's been oppressed, great injustice has taken place, as evil is taking place. There is an evil ruler who they can all look at and say, this is an unjust, ungodly king. And there is an empire that we are existing in that is oppressing us. These are very real aspects of the story of Jesus. And if we miss out on that, we miss out on so much of who Jesus is. Now, Caesar Augustus was born Gaius Octavius. And uh, his mom was the niece of Julius Caesar. You've heard of Julius Caesar, I'm sure. Um, and he really took a liking to Octavius. And so he adopts him into his own family and names him heir. So after Julius Caesar is assassinated, he becomes Caesar. And uh, he goes on a little rampage to kill all the people that killed uh, you know, Julius. And then he's the ruler of the Roman land. You also probably heard of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. There are other rulers of the other half of the Roman world. And so then he eventually goes to war with them and he conquers them and he uh, becomes the emperor over Rome. He's the one who founds the Roman Empire. One man that is ruling as emperor over an empire. And he's given the title uh, of Augustus by the, 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 uh, the Senate, who really it's just a paper Senate, doesn't really exist, he's in charge, but they give him this. And what that name means is highly revered, like a god. This means like you, how you revere a god. So he's Caesar, he's the emperor, that's what that means. And he's the Caesar revered as a god. Now Julius was also declared to have been divine. And so he takes upon himself the title of D.V. Filius, which means son of a god. Are you seeing some parallels here? You have an emperor who's ruling over the known world, all of it. He's declared himself to be the son of God. He uh, institutes uh, the cult, the imperial cult, which is where you recognize that the ruler is appointed by the gods to rule. He's been given divine authority to rule. And what he offers you as a part of his empire is the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And what that means is to all of the empire, this good, benevolent, chosen by the God's king, the son of God himself, what he does is he gives you the, the economic prosperity of Rome as long as you submit to the military power of Rome. And he uses this to brutally oppress and take advantage of people. But he has a carrot and a stick that he uses to keep people in line. The carrot is the economic opportunities of Rome. You can be rich, you can be successful. I'll put the right policies in place that will grow your 401k. I'll get you the health care that you need. This is the carrot, just be allegiant to me. Submit yourself to me and to my lordship over you and you'll have everything you need. And the stick is the military power of Rome. But if you resist, you will be killed. Crucifixion wasn't a special thing that happened to Jesus. Crucifixion was a common thing. They used crosses as mile markers going down the roads to keep people in fear and to keep them to remember that if you go against the king, if you go against the emperor, not only will you lose the economic benefits of Rome, but you will receive the military oppression of Rome. This is, uh, you know, Caesar Augustus, he's just, one of many. Like, this is something that's been going on for a long time. 
the, the idea of a king and the idea of empire is something that plays out over and over again through human history. It's Pharaoh in Egypt. It's the Assyrian Empire, and I can't remember their ruler. It's the Babylonian Empire and King Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's the different Caesars and the Roman Empire. You can't even understand the story of Scripture without understanding the kings and their empires. You can't understand what's happening in the New Testament church if you don't put it in light of the Roman Empire and the Caesars who are existing over it. And when you understand this, when you begin to see that what continues to happen is there are emperors and there are kingdoms and there are rulers over us that keep offering us carrots and keep threatening us with sticks, we will never see the true beauty of who King Jesus is and what it is that he has accomplished. We will never welcome him in and submit ourselves to him as we should. But Caesar and empire are all counterfeits of Jesus and his kingdom. What God created is good God is king, and he was instilled as king long before we were ever created. We bear his image. What happens is eventually the king who was always made, who was always existing to be king finally came to us. But the enemy perverted kingship by setting people up as kings and bringing human empires of oppression instead of the kingdom of God. Caesar and empire are counterfeits of Jesus and his kingdom. But we are all tempted to put our faith in Caesar and empire. Every single one of us. There's no one who is immune to the allure of kingdom, of, of empires, and to the allure of the different emperors who exist. Because they all offer a carrot to us, they make promises to us of the things that they can accomplish and the things that they will do, the policies they'll enact, the people they will promote, the power they will give, and they also promise to attack those who we think are enemies who are opposed to us or threatening our own power, our own security. They always offer us the carrot, but they always bring the stick. And when we elevate any man when we give in to the temptation to elevate kings and to give our heart and our allegiance to kings and when we give our heart and our allegiance to the emperors of this world and instead of living out the kingdom of God and the new life that he's called us to, but instead we begin to become complicit with the empire and live just like the people of the empire around us, we reject King Jesus and his kingdom. And we've done that in the church over and over again, because this isn't a story that's new to us. I love how God delivers people out of oppression and bondage and slavery in Egypt. He provides for them. He is their God. He is their king. He's reigning and ruling over them with justice and giving them so much better than they deserve. And he's faithful and they're unfaithful and he's faithful and they keep being more unfaithful and he's still faithful. He's perfect and good to them. But eventually what they do is they say, God, give us a king. And you know what God says? He tells the prophet Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. This isn't on you. They're rejecting me. Our cry for a human king is a rejection of the kingship of Jesus. Our joining into the empires of this world is a rejection of the kingdom of God. And the church, you see, like we're coming into an election year. Oh, God save us. Like, 
Like we've been in election year for, it seems like eight years. And here's what's gonna happen. People are gonna vie to be the next emperor over the empire. They're gonna try to turn people in the church. You know what evangelical means? It used to mean something. You know what it means now? It's a voting block that's targeted by politicians. That's all evangelicals are, a voting block who've given their allegiance to a certain brand of emperor who isn't Jesus. And calling us and offering us the prosperity and the benefits of the empire that aren't the benefits that King Jesus gives. And using the military might of the empire as the threat to others and also what makes us feel safe. The siren song of kings and empires will be sung loudly in this next year. And we will be tempted to give our allegiance to someone else. We will be tempted to promote someone else as king. We will be tempted to put our faith and our hope and our trust in someone else. We'll all say, no, I don't. Jesus is king, but I just think they have better policies. Better policies than Jesus? I was telling someone I was preaching, like, are you saying we should overthrow the government? No, like do, like this is on tape record, do not overthrow the government. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't bring his government the way that others bring. In fact, in some of the parables, he kind of mocks the idea of Herod goes off to Rome to get a government and a kingship over it that isn't rightly his. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go to Caesar to get his kingship. He doesn't go to Caesar to do any of these things. He just goes to a cross to defeat all of the powers of evil and become king over all. And he calls us to join him in his death and his suffering so that we can join him in his glory in the resurrection. We aren't enticed by the carrots of the kings. We aren't scared of the sticks of the kings either. We have a king and we pray for those who are over us. Absolutely pray for them. They need Jesus. They need to understand what the king's justice is. They need, they need a revelation inside of their heart that leads them to create such policies and have such convictions that they get voted out as fast as this country would possibly vote them out. We have to resist the temptation to put our hope and our faith in anyone other than Jesus and resist the temptation to give in to all of the glittery gold that our empire has to offer us because we want the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've read the Sermon on the Mount. It's not glamorous, but it's the way of life. It's the way of peace. It's the way of joy. It's the way of Jesus. So this year, as you gather around the table, I hope you have deeply political conversations about our King Jesus who has come to us, who's king over all the world, who was just, who was good, who was faithful. The government of this world is upon his shoulders and the peace of the world is in him. And of the increase of the government and of his peace, there shall be no end.
Jesus, thank you. Lord, help us to see ourselves like the Jewish people who heard the prophet Isaiah prophesy. They heard the proclamation of a king who's coming, a good king, a faithful king, a king of peace, a king of justice. Lord, help us to hear that through that lens as we look around at the kings and the empires of this world and we say it's not good enough. There's too much evil, there's too much corruption. We can't trust any man. Our trust and our hope is all in King Jesus and we will never sell you out. We will never give our allegiance to anyone else. We bend the knee only to Jesus and we don't look for what any empire can provide us here on this earth. We look only to the kingdom of God. Thank you that you brought it to us. Thank you that people dwelling in a land of darkness have seen a great light, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that the glorious light of your coming continues to expand over every nation, God, over every tribe, over people of every tongue. Lord, would you awaken your church? Would you awaken your people to submit themselves to you fresh and new again? Not just as we can consider Christmas, Lord, but every single day, waking up, declaring that Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord, and that your kingdom will reign forever. Lord, steal our hearts and give us wisdom not to be given to temptation, but to stay strong in our faithfulness to you. Lord, we pray that not just for ourselves, but we pray that for Radiant Church that in our hearts we cry out, there's only one king and his name is Jesus. We're only allegiant to one person, his name is Jesus. There's only one kingdom we're living for and it is the kingdom of God. And Lord, all the things that would seek to divide us over the different views of how we best create human flourishing on this earth would never be something that divides us. Because the moment we do that, we declare a different king and a different empire. Lord, we pray over the church in our city. Lord, we pray over the church in our nation. Be exalted as king. And this morning, if you're having new revelation of Jesus as king, respond to him. He is a good king. He is a faithful king. He's not like the kings of this world. He's a king who loves you and who gave himself for you to redeem you. That when you put your faith in him, when we declare that Jesus is Lord, that he's the king over all, and now I'm gonna submit myself to him and live in his kingdom and allegiance to him, what happens is he puts his spirit in you, making you a new creation so that you can resist the temptation to go back to a life of sin, so that you have the power inside of you to live a life of godliness. You have peace in you, you have joy in you, there's contentment inside of you, there's love that's birthed inside of you. There's unity that's inside of you. There's the power to stand in times of trials and temptations that will all come to you through God's spirit in you. And you receive that through faith. And that means allegiance to Jesus. So this morning, if Jesus is revealing himself to you as king, put your faith in him. Declare Jesus is Lord and he is the savior of all the world. 
On the cross, he atoned for your sins as king, as representative for his people. And he rose victorious from the grave. And now he's revealing himself to a people all across this world and including in this very room today. Put your faith in Jesus. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Become a new creation. Become a part of his kingdom and become a part of his own family. Maybe you've been far from the Lord. I admit it, there's a lot of reasons to get jaded with the church and American Christianity. I'll be the first to say that because it's become about so many other things other than the Lordship of Jesus, the Savior of all of the world. If Jesus is revealing himself to you again or in a fresh new way, he's doing it to call you home. He's calling you back into his house. He hasn't forgotten about you and your unfaithfulness towards him hasn't made him unfaithful towards you. Your unfaithfulness or lack of love towards him hasn't made him feel any less love towards you. He still wants to be your king. He still wants to be your savior. And he's inviting you once again back into the family, back into the kingdom. No shame, no guilt. Just love and a place at his table. So Lord, over every heart, fresh new conviction of Jesus, the King, who rules over his kingdom and has given life to all who enter in. Jesus, teach us to live in full submission to you every single day. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. If you have your candle, the ushers are going to come along and, and they're going to light it. It's a time to once again reflect on our King Jesus, the light who has come into the world. So let's stand and let's sing.
would it be if every one of us left this room and went out into the darkness around us and shone brightly the glorious light of King Jesus that comes from a life fully submitted to him, a life of full allegiance to him, a life fully trusting him in everything and demonstrating what King Jesus is like and what his kingdom is like to the world that's around us. It would be even more beautiful. And that's your assignment. That is your holy call. Jesus, help us. Help us, King Jesus. Lord, convict our hearts once again. Daily, Lord, convict our hearts. And teach us to partner with you in the ministry of reconciliation. To boldly proclaim that Jesus is King. To boldly demonstrate the way that we live a life of submission to you and to every one of your commands. That Jesus is King and that his kingdom is good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you can blow out your candle because the light of the world is in you. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming this morning and celebrating Jesus. Amen. Real quick before you go, next week we're having another family service. And we're going to be sharing testimonies and celebrating what Jesus has done in us over the last year. So kids all being here with us again, high celebration. And then we're going to have food afterwards. So if you're good at making something delicious and fattening or something delicious and healthy, bring it with you and you can put it on the tables out in the cafe when you come. And after we celebrate Jesus for a while and recount his faithfulness, we'll go out and we'll eat together. If you want to break up into groups and pray, you are more than welcome to. I know some of you have to get going, but we will always create a place here. If you want to pray, you can get into groups and we will pray with each other. Love you all. God bless. Merry Christmas.